My name is Ashley, uh, as I've just been introduced. I'm normally found over at Chichester site, but I love being here at Bogner Preaching because it's so great to see all of my old friends, um, but also meet new people as well who I haven't met before. So if we haven't said hi to each other before, or you don't recognise me, I don't know you, come and say hi afterwards because I'd love to meet you. Um, we are going to be continuing our series this morning, looking through the, the book of 1 Peter. Now, up to this point in the letter that we've been looking at, Peter has been focusing on showing us the incredibly privileged position that we have as the people of God. And he's spoken about the blessing that comes out of being believers of Christ. He's talked about how we are a chosen people, how we are a royal priesthood, God's special, special possession, and about this incredible mercy that we have received. And so having shown us this up until this point in his letter, and hopefully filled us with a sense of awe and just wonder really at what he's created us to be, the part of this letter now switches where Peter starts talking about from who we are to how that our mission now flows out of our identity. So it's establishing our identity first and now looking at our mission. And so it goes from talking about all these glorious, incredible things to submission and humility. And it invites us uh, in this next passage to really kind of turn our understanding of these things upside down and look at a different perspective of it that is based in our new identity in Jesus. So we are in um, 1 Peter chapter 2, and we're going to be starting from verse 11. I'll have it up on the, on the screen, but do feel free to, um, to follow along in your Bibles if you prefer. He starts off saying, Dear friends, I urge you, as foreigners and exiles, to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. Now, when Peter is telling us to live good lives, a more accurate translation of the word good there is actually um, beautiful or attractive. And so there is this theme throughout 1 Peter, this sort of like luminous goodness that is just traveling throughout the whole of it. And so much of, of what Peter is talking about in this passage, as we will see as the morning goes on, is he's pointing back to Jesus throughout it. And so this idea that by doing good, by living really attractive lives, others will see and come to know God. This was clearly talked about by Jesus as well. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus tells us, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. Now, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, do you see that final verse there? Look at that. That they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us and glorify your Father in heaven. They're basically identical, aren't they, right? Peter is echoing the words of Jesus when he is urging us to live lives that set us apart from the world. And it's not so that you can live good lives so that everyone thinks you're marvellous, <laughs> so that everyone looks at you and you think, oh, they're a good person. Yeah, they're great. And it's also not so that people look at you and think, well, they must have the best church in town. Obviously, we do, right? But it's, that's not the purpose of it. No, the purpose of this is to point people back to God. It's to glorify God. That's the whole reason we were being asked to do this. And you see, the Christians that Peter was writing to at the time, they lived in a time of um, 
in a world that was very, very hostile towards them. They were scattered amongst unbelievers everywhere. They were lied about. They were um, persecuted quite severely. Many people were making up all kinds of false rumors about them. And by Peter telling them at the time to respond to this with gracious and loving behavior, it was going to show what really set them apart. And more than that, it was actually going to win some of the critics to Christ. And I think it can be really easy, can't it, to get cross with people who mock Jesus or who mock our faith or don't take it seriously. But what Peter is saying here is don't write off the people because they misunderstand your love of Jesus. Show them what it is to follow Christ. Show them Christ by your life. Because what we are actually longing for is a time where the people who are criticizing you today are going to stand side by side worshiping God tomorrow. I mean, amen. Isn't that what we're looking for? And so the passage that we're looking at this morning, it goes on to tell us about some of the really hard things that we're actually asked to do to be different. But before we go delving into that, I just think it's really helpful to remember that Peter is saying that if our lives are above approach, if we are living such good and luminous lives, even hostile people will end up praising God. And that's what we're, that's what we're looking for. So let's read on. In verse 13, Peter says, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as a supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish folk. Live as free people, but don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves, show proper respect to everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, honour the emperor. So I might as well tell you now that um, submitting to authority is not like my most comfortable place. (laughs) It's not something that I... I, uh, is natural for me. I have very strong opinions on quite a large number of things, and so I struggle with this. But... um, And the idea of sort of submitting to authorities, it's really counter to our culture, isn't it? Like, you can't tell me what to do. I am my own person. I don't agree with what the government's doing. I'm not going to do it. And now, if we change this verse up here to a modern-day equivalent, though, this is what it would read like, right? Submit yourself, for the Lord's sake, to every human authority, whether to Rishi Sunak as a supreme authority or to Suella Braverman, who's sent by him to punish, bada, 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 on it goes. And it sounds ridiculous, right, when you put it like that. You think, like, surely that's not what the Bible means. Surely it's not submit like that. But Peter, he was writing in an age where the emperor of the time, the supreme authority, was probably this guy called Nero. And he was an absolute tyrant. He was going out persecuting, torturing, murdering Christians, right? He was on an absolute campaign of it. And so if you kind of stop and reflect on the fact that that's who Peter was probably referencing at the time when he talked about this, that call to respect him seems even more remarkable, doesn't it? It's quite breathtaking, I think. But you see, Jesus, he had already justified paying appropriate respect to authorities, okay? When uh, he'd told people to pay tribute to Caesar in their giving, in their taxes, and when Pilate was busy agreeing to uh, sentence Jesus to death, he still recognized Pilate not just as authority given by Rome, but by God as well. And the thing is, no matter actually what you think of our government, you might think they're brilliant, you might not, the truth is they're definitely no worse than Nero was, right? 
And so Christians, we are called to stand out by giving authorities respect. And Peter, no matter how much I looked at this verse and tried to turn it around in my head, Peter does not make any exceptions on this. He's very clear about it. So it doesn't matter if the governing bodies are good or bad in your opinion. It doesn't matter if you voted for them or not, or whether they were even voted for in in the first place. Neither Peter or Jesus said, only honour them if you like, really agree with their decision-making protocols. <laughs> None of that is in there. Right? We are called to submit to governing authorities and those who are authorised to speak on their behalf. And God isn't surprised that they're in power, right? He's not like, geez, how did, how did Boris get there? Like, turn your back for one second. He's not like that. He knows that he is there. He put him in power. He puts the people there. Now, this doesn't, however, mean that you have to blindly agree with everything that is happening or that you can't uh, express your displeasure or use your right to protest. And in fact, as Christians, we are called to be people of justice and who stand up for justice as well. And sometimes that means standing up to things that you don't agree with. It means speaking up for good policies and against bad policies, if, you, if that's what you feel. But nevertheless, honour and respect is something that you can still choose to do while you're doing that. It's so, so easy, I think probably never more than in this day and age, to mock or ridicule the people who are in authority, right? And to speak cruelly of them. But this, this is God's word, right? We are God's people, and this is what God is asking us to do. And nonetheless, even with all of that, the idea of submission to authorities is still, to me, I still find it hard to get my head around. It is what God has called us to. But I just also want to say, right, guys, it is okay to wrestle with the word of God, right? If you find things in the Bible that you're like, oh, kind of like, I'm not sure about that. I'm not sure how it goes. It's okay to ask questions, right? Go deep with God. Ask him that. Wrestle with him about it. God gave you a mind to ask questions, and that is a good thing to do. Don't be afraid to use the mind that God has given you when reading your Bible. And if you do, God will bless you and illuminate it in your life. But throughout this passage, which we're going to carry on reading in a minute, each time that Peter is giving an example of how we are to live and the behavior that we're to demonstrate, he uses the word submission, and he uses it repeatedly as it goes on. And I think, for me, one of the reasons why it doesn't, that word kind of submission doesn't sit very well with me sometimes is it's got this very literal meaning of being below somebody else, right? As another person or other people are all superior to you. And no one kind of wants to feel that way, do they? It's not like a nice feeling to feel that way. And the world will tell you that there is this inferiority that comes with submitting to someone. But I find this verse from Philippians so helpful. Check this out, right? This is Philippians 2, verse 5 to 11. And it says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. It's very clear, right? Look at those words. Made himself nothing, humbled himself, taking the very nature of a servant. And who among us looks at that and goes, oh, Jesus sounds a bit second best, doesn't he? Like, we don't think that, do we? It's Jesus, Right? We don't wonder why he isn't chasing equality and demanding the respect due to him. But then look what happens next in this passage. It says, therefore, 
as in because of what has just gone before, because of this, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. You see, because of this, therefore, because of his willingness to humble himself and submit to these beatings, he glorified God. It's all to the glory of God. That's why we're doing this. We are told in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of Christ. So what does that mean in practice? Well, it's having a servant-hearted attitude in all that we do. It means serving on teams, maybe missing out on the preach every other week because you're out with the kids and putting out the bins and all of that sort of stuff. I had so much fun at the multi-site celebration last week. Who was there for it? Are you all there? Pretty much all of you were there, right? And to me, that was the absolute most beautiful example of a servant-hearted people, right? People were just sweating themselves silly doing the kicking on the barbecue on one of the hottest days of the year. We had people who were manning the bouncy castles. It was everybody was involved. But then did you also notice those people who were going around completely kind of unthanked, who were doing the litter picking, who were making sure the bins were being taken out, all of that sort of stuff. No kind of earthly glory in that. There's no like round of applause for the litter pickers at the end, is there? But that is that servant-heartedness, which is so beautiful. And it's not saying that one type of serving is better than another, right? There's nothing wrong with doing serving that also gets like kind of earthly glory too. It's brilliant, but it's the people of God coming together to do that. And so I find this verse from Philippians so helpful when I'm wrestling with this idea of submission and humility, because if humility and servanthood was good enough for Jesus, then (laughs) it is certainly good enough for me. So let's go carry on and read the final part of the passage from Peter. He says, slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your master's not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they're conscious of God, but how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, well, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for forgiveness. For by his wounds you have been healed, and you were like sheep going astray. But now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So you can see that the theme of submission is carrying on through Peter's letter. Only this time he's adding in a healthy dose of suffering, just to make it even more palatable for us. Um, And obviously suffering can take many different forms, can't it? But Peter is talking very explicitly in this context about suffering for doing good. Now, in many places around the world today still, Christians are suffering for their death. Um, Sorry, suffering for their faith and some of them even to the point of um, torture and death. And in the UK, we have like a very mild version of that from a kind of institutional 
point of view, but we do still have it. But also on, on a personal level, there are many people who still suffer greatly for having faith in Jesus. And actually, I know that there are people here in this room this morning who have family who don't speak to them anymore because they choose to follow Christ. Now, Peter, he is specifically addressing slaves in this passage, and slavery was very widespread in Peter's day, but it was kind of a little bit different than how we might think of it because it included a lot of people that would be in a household like teachers and physicians or doctors, tutors, managers of estates, that sort of thing. So really, it's kind of like talking to people in a workplace, really. Um, and so it's not a big sort of leap to say that we're talking about, the, you could kind of turn this to being in your, in your work. And he does later go on to talk about how this works in a family situation as well, which we'll see, um, I think, next week. But he's, he's saying, submit yourself to your boss. Submit yourself to your line manager, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. Now, just by show of hands, right, I'm not going to ask anyone to declare anything, but who here has had a boss or line manager that's been pretty harsh before? All right, cool. That is nearly everybody. <laughs> that is nearly everyone. It's not uncommon, is it? But it's hard, right? It is really, really hard to be in that situation. I do want to point out before I go on that also that we are not actual literal slaves though and this isn't saying that if you are in a work situation that is abusive and really damaging that you should just stay and suffer through it. You are free to leave and if you can and you know, want to do then you should do that. That is not saying you must stay and suffer. But what it is saying is our response to behaviour that is unjust or unfair can be such a witness to those around us, right? Such treatment, it, of, it almost offers us like this golden opportunity to show people the uniqueness of a Christian love, not a worldly love, but ours. See, if you only ever respond in kind, like good for good, evil for evil, then when you are treated unjustly, you're kind of nothing more than just a victim. And by giving in to resentment or seeking an opportunity to kind of repay them, you're seeking to take justice on for yourself and to be in charge of it yourself. But if you are instead bearing wrongdoingly patiently and in love and in respect, you break the power of it over your life, right? Instead, you show confidence in God's justice when you do that. And again, Peter, he's echoing the words that Jesus himself said in Matthew 5, when Jesus says, you have heard it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies. And pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. So we are, we're not called to react in hostility or to insult, even when people deserve it, right? Oh, I know that sometimes people do deserve it. But we are called to love them. That is it. That is our job in this situation. See, Peter, he is pointing to Jesus as the true model for how to live a significant life of freedom, even in the midst of oppression. But what does that actually mean? Well, if you are like struggling at the moment with maybe a really hostile team leader or a family member or maybe mates who are just a little bit unkind about your faith, it's helpful to look at what this passage passage, sorry, is telling us about how Jesus reacts. There's a couple of things. Firstly, the passage says he didn't sin or lie or retaliate or threaten. See, when Jesus was spat upon, when he was lied about, when people were making up things about him, when he was being beaten and when he was being crucified, he did not retaliate. 
right? He didn't make up more rumors about the people that were hurting him. He didn't even harbor anger against them. And it's worth remembering who is writing this letter, right? This is Peter. This is the guy who stood in the Garden of Gethsemane when the soldiers were coming to arrest Jesus and everything was getting really fought. He was one who pulled out a sword and attacked the servant of the guys who was coming to arrest him. And Jesus rebuked him. And he rebuked him harshly for it, right? So Peter knows this firsthand that this is not what Jesus wants from it. He's learned it really the hard way. Now, maybe at work, your team leader, knowing that you're a Christian, is constantly making little digs about it. The natural thing can feel like it's to lash out or to retaliate or to go around gossiping or something like that. But if you retrace what Jesus did, you remember he didn't react in return. And when he suffered, he didn't threaten or retaliate. He held his peace. Now, that sounds kind of like, well, how is that even possible in this situation? Well, Passage tells us that too. He did so because he continued entrusting both himself and those who were mistreating him to God, knowing that God is just and will make all things right in the end. Because verse 23 says, Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Jesus trusted himself to his heavenly Father, knowing that judgment would come, right? But he cared more about the approval of God and getting one-upmanship or vindication over someone else, over someone who is causing him harm. See, the only way really to fight the temptation to retaliate is to remember that God is the ultimate judge, right? We can trust God in all things. He will right all wrongs. And when we can trust him in this, then we can live in freedom, right? We give him the power to do it, and we take that off of ourselves. We have no need to take justice into our own hands, because we can so firmly and so safely leave it in God's hands. There there is justice, there will be justice, but it is not for us to concern ourselves with. That is God's business. We are to concern ourselves with living differently, to live such good lives among the pagans, like it said at the beginning, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. In Romans 12, it says this, It's just repeating the same thing, but it's just constantly throughout the Bible. It says, Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed them. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. And in doing this, you will heap burning coals on on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The Lord says, it's mine. It's mine to revenge. Your job is to overcome evil with good. That's it. That's it. That is your role as a servant of Jesus. Nothing else within that is your responsibility. Now, the Bible is pretty clear that those who want to follow Christ and pursue a life of holiness will suffer unjustly, right? Sometimes I think it can almost feel like we're really pleased that Jesus bore this cross, and we know that we're called to bear the cross as well, but we kind of hope that we can avoid it if, if we kind of keep our heads down low. But you see, actually, suffering is a part of living faithfully for all of us who love Jesus. It's not like just some optional extra for the super keno Christians. Yeah, it's something that actually is going to be a part of all of our lives if we are to walk in a holy life. We are called like, to live such a, a vibrant life that we cannot but help but actually 
go unchallenged with that in this world. And so I want to encourage you this morning with that. If you are suffering unjustly, then take heart, okay? There is hope in these passages. And if you profess faith in Christ, but actually have never suffered for your faith, or never even been inconvenienced for your, for your faith, and I'm not saying, like, go back to work on Monday and start a fight, right? That's not what I'm saying here at all. Please, I don't want Joe calling me up. But if you haven't ever been inconvenienced in any way or suffered for this, then it's actually worth having a really kind of candid and honest conversation with yourself and with God about that. Because, do you know, comfort and Christianity, they're rarely compatible with each other, right? There will be lovely times in your life when they are, but they should probably, if you're doing it right, be a lot of times in your life when they're not, okay? This passage is calling us to follow Jesus's example, there's a guy called Edmund uh, Clowney, or Clooney, I'm not quite sure how to say it, and he's written this book on 1 Peter, and in it he says this, I just love this, he says, it is the privilege of those who are sons and daughters of the Most High to imitate the magnificence of their Father's mercy. They rise above simple justice to reflect God's goodness and love, unthreatened by evil, They can overcome evil with good, and in the midst of suffering, show mercy to those who would show no mercy towards them. Isn't that just gorgeous? See, Peter, he's not in this letter saying that we should be lowly and submissive in front of other people because we are lowly in God's eyes, right? No, he's, he's been saying the opposite. Everything up until this point in the passage has been talking about this incredible, exalted position that we have as members of God's family, right? Remember in 2 verse 9, just like the, the one from last week, he was calling us a chosen people, his special possession. We are sons and daughters of the Lord God Most High, right? That is who we are. If you have put your faith in Jesus, that is who you are, and there is nothing, and I cannot say this highly enough, there is nothing lowly about how God sees you, right? You are exalted because he has made you so. And yet, we are called to emulate Jesus in his servanthood. So whatever your circumstances are this morning, and they will be very different across this room, whether they are in a place of joy or comfort or suffering, I want to encourage you this morning, how are you using this point, this, this situation to point people towards Christ. Because see, when, when suffering comes, we can be glad in it, and we can suffer well by emulating Jesus, who never compromised, because we know that when doing so, we are pointing people back to the glory of God, and knowing that one day those people who, as I say, stand today criticizing us, might stand side by side with us, praising God in the future. Wouldn't that just be absolutely incredible? So I'm going to uh, close by praying for us because I think that uh, it's just, you know, everyone's situation in this room is going to be different. But also, if you do feel that some of this stuff feels a bit ouchy, like, you know, yeah, I, I know I've got that going on at work or I've got this going on over here or whatever, we'd love to pray for you, okay? I'm not going to ask like, everyone to come up here or whatever, although you're very welcome to, but come and find either me or Johnny or Kim or, you know, one of the leaders here. We'd love to pray for you as well. Don't leave here this morning thinking like, oh, this is really hard and I don't know what to do with that because actually God is so faithful and, and we've got the Holy Spirit to, to really work with us and to bless us with that. So I'm just going to pray and then I'm going to hand back over. Lord, Jesus, thank you so much, Lord, that you suffered and died so that we could be 
forgiven and restored and live this incredible life of freedom and one day be in glory with you, Lord. And we love you and we are so grateful for this incredible new identity that we have in you and we want to follow and we want to point other people towards you, Lord. But we also know that following you, Father, means laying down our comfort and we want to be a people who step out in faith. We want to be people who, who set our lights high and who are when we are wronged, we want to be able to look beyond our own kind of earthly sense of justice and, and leave it to you, the ultimate judge. That's what we're called to do. But it is tough to do sometimes. And Lord, I pray right now across this room, would you, would you send your Holy Spirit, Father? Would you come and minister people? Would you increase our faith this morning and help us to be able to hand it back to you and trust you with our circumstances rather than looking towards ourselves? And I I really pray for those of us who are struggling with uh, unkindness in our lives at the moment, whether it's at work or a family situation, that you would give them peace to be able to look to you as the example of holy living. And Father, we, we do pray for those who persecute us, Lord, and people who are persecuting the church right around the world. Lord, would you give us eyes to see them as our mission field? Would you give us your love for them, Lord, that we can bless them and love them well, and in doing so, point them towards the ultimate love, Lord, which is yours and yours alone, Father. We love you so much, Lord. Amen.